Very, very good to be here. Actually, just I've, I want to start with a, um, something that somebody's just said to me at the back. It might sound a bit heavy, but I feel to ask it. I want to ask you some questions. You don't have to answer them, but maybe in your, in your head, and they're big. Um, how much do you believe that God loves you? How much do you believe that Jesus likes you and enjoys spending time with you? How much do you believe that he can speak to you? How much do you believe that he wants to speak to you? And I guess, crucially, how much do you want to hear him? Just felt to ask those questions, I guess, connected always with the sorts of things that we do in in, in the room like this and in other venues. Um, We're starting this series on calling. And by the way, this is the second dose. I do see one or two people who are here this morning. And so um, if if you don't want your second dose, your second sort of inoculation from me, uh, feel free to leave. (laughs) That's fine. I won't be be offended. But we're starting this series on calling, and, and that's a big deal, isn't it? And I think we're really interested in that. Uh, I, I'm sure that when Tim put that thing on next Sunday, 4 o'clock, how do I know that whether it's God who's calling? I, I'm pretty sure that some of you are thinking that you're weighing up the pros and cons. Well, if the weather's nice, blah, blah, blah. I, I want to suggest that you come. We're doing a few Sundays on, on this. Um, I was once told that if you, if you do a conference, somebody like me or whatever puts on a, a church puts on a conference, if you call one of the sessions knowing the will of God or discovering your calling, you may as well not put out on any of the other sessions because everybody wants to go to that one, right? We just do. There's something deep within us that, that is attracted by the notion of what's it about? What's my life about? And if I believe in a God or maybe even, even if I don't, I still kind of want to know what somebody else says about my life and, and what it's supposed to be. And so this could be a really good series if that's where you're at. And I think we're always at that place uh, in many ways. But the punchline for tonight is just a little bit different because it precedes all of that. And I'm going to give it to you right at the start. So if you do fall asleep or you prefer to check the cricket or whatever it is on your apps, then, then you won't miss this, which is that God is calling you and me to him. Before he calls us to do anything, he's calling you and me to himself. Uh, and that's a massive thing to say and then to work out, uh, but it's really, really important for us to hear it. God is calling you and me to himself before he calls us to anything else. There's um, a story told of a man who, a Spanish man who had a son called Pablo. Pablo messed up and um, wanted to live independently, but like the story in the Bible, the prodigal son, so pushed off and was separated from his dad. His dad never lost his affection for his son and would yearn for him to come back and uh, tried all kinds of ways to do that. And the story, and I think it's true, although it's hard to tell these things, isn't it? Um, and, and one day after some years, he thought, well, I'll try another tack. I'm going to put an advert in those days, back in the day, an advertisement in the newspaper, the local newspaper. And the advert said, uh, Pablo, it's your father. I love you. I forgive you. And I want you to come home. Meet me under the clock tower in the town square at noon on Friday. And the story has it that at noon on Friday, in the town square, under the clock tower, several dozen young men called Pablo (laughs) rocked up, desperate, actually, for reconciliation with their father. I find it a powerful story. Maybe it resonates a bit with yours. Because actually, we know the story, don't we? We know that story. Deep, hardwired within human DNA is that story, is the story that we are made for close connection 
with the ones who made us, primarily our parents. First of all, our parents. We're made for close connection. We're made for that loving relationship with our parents, which is why it's so flipping painful when it doesn't work out like that. And I don't want to push on sore points, but you know, there will be sore points as I say that. But we know that story. It's why it's the subject. It's the story of a million films and books and, and, and bits of literature and art and all that through the centuries, isn't it? Of course it is. I was thinking, what could I show if I showed something? Uh, first thing that came to mind was Finding Nemo, actually. Um, you know, the story of, of estrangement, the story of a child that is missing, that goes AWOL, that is taken or, or whatever, and there's separation, and then there's the desperation on behalf of the parent in that case to go looking, to go searching, to go finding. Um, you think of your own story. I know there's plenty of other films on that, on that topic, absolutely loads and loads. It's really, really powerful. And what is the origin of the story? What is the origin of that deep narrative in our, that really kind of gets us, yes, we're made for that, even if we're not experiencing it. We know that we're made for that. What's the origin of the story? The origin of the story is of the Father who made us to love us and for us to know that love. The story of a Father who calls us by name, Pablo. John, Sarah, Mike, Tim. He calls us by name. He calls us to be with him. John Ortberg describes it as the with God life. A lot of life is a fine kind of compromise and balance between all sorts of different things. But in this respect, there is a two-dimensional, black and white. It's a with God life that he calls us to and that we live. Or there's a without God life that many, many, many most tragically live. Those are the options. He calls us to be with him, the with God life. And I think that he's calling us to that life again. Lots of things happen at the beginning of a, of a term, don't they? There's probably a lot going in, on in heads and hearts. There always is. There's always change. There's always new things. There's probably some new people here. Welcome. Lovely to see you. There's probably some people who have gone off to other places to do other things. And, and maybe you're gearing up for a term if you think in terms. Friends, there is nothing more important for us to get our heads around as we sort of embark on this next chapter. The summer ends. New thing begins. I'm, you won't hear. I might not say it well, but... God will say it well to you. I'm confident of that. There is nothing more important for you to get your head and heart around than this as we embark on the next thing. God is calling you to himself or nearer to himself or closer to himself. Or maybe there's a few Pablos in the room. In fact, I'm sure there are. And you need to go to the clock tower at noon on Friday, as it were, and be reconciled to a father who you may never have even known. God's calling us to the with God life. Before anything else happens, it's the most important thing. Do not fear. I've redeemed you. I've summoned you by name. That's the bit I love. By name, you're mine. We're going to read the story of uh, Samuel in a minute. But you could pick almost anybody in, in, in the Bible. Moses, you know. I know that you're there. Take off your shoes. Joshua, Gideon, Jeremiah, Isaiah. Here I am, Lord. Martha, Martha. He even repeats it. Jesus even says suit some names twice. Nick, Nick, <laughs> I really am calling you. Martha, Martha, Simon, Simon, Peter, Peter, Saul, Saul, come and be with me to the with God life. Here's Jesus talking, by the way. Uh, Mark 3, Jesus went up on a mountainside and I put it in bold type, called to himself those that he wanted and they came to him. He appointed 12 of them so that what? They might be with him, to do the with God life. 
And sure, from then he commissioned them to do some stuff. He's saying the same to you and to me. Here's one Samuel. Here's the calling of Samuel, Samuel, Samuel. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was right. By the way, I should remind you, if you don't know the story, Samuel is the son of Hannah. Hannah hadn't had a baby. She couldn't have a baby, but she was desperate for a baby. And eventually God uh, heard that prayer. She had a baby, and she dedicated him to the Lord. So this is young Samuel. We don't know how old, but um, let's say eight, nine, I'm guessing, uh, ministering in uh, the tabernacle, the house of God, because she dedicated it under this guy's uh, mentorship called Eli. And in those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There weren't many visions. But one night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak he could barely see, he was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God hadn't yet gone out. Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God, that's the kind of the, the representation of the presence of God himself in those days. And the Lord, the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel says, here I am. And he rushes off to Eli and says, here I am, you call me. And you probably know the story from Sunday school or you've heard it somewhere. And he does this three times, thinking that Eli's calling him. And in none of the cases, it's actually Eli, it's God. Eli clocks this eventually and says, oh, I've got it. Samuel, go back to bed. And when he says it, when you're called again, um, tell him that you're there. So verse 10, a little bit later, Samuel went down, lay in the place. The Lord came and stood there calling, like at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. And then Samuel said, speak. For your servant is listening, Lord. And then 19, a bit further down. But again, I put it in italics. The Lord was what? With Samuel. Simple, we miss it, don't we? The with God life, the with Samuel. They were, with, they were together as Samuel grew up. And he let none of Samuel's words, words fall to the ground. Samuel became this attested, recognized prophet, heard from the Lord. And the Lord continued to appear at Shiloh. And he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. He spoke to him. So that's a little bit where we're going, where we are. It's amazing, isn't it, really? How, do, how much does that describe you? How, do, how much is this resonating with your story so far? J.R. Tolkien uh, wrote The Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, all of that. He was the guy, by the way, who at Oxford um, brought to faith in Jesus Christ uh, a, an atheist professor called C.S. Lewis, who went on to write the Narnia stuff. Uh, it was his, the anniversary of his death this week, and so I read this quote, and it began, the chief purpose of life for any one of us, and I'm thinking, right, we all pause, don't we there? If we're listening, if we're not on you know, BBC Sport, we're listening at this moment. The chief purpose of life for any one of us. Surely we want to know the rest of the sentence. Okay, this is J.R. Tolkien, not, not the Bible at this point, but I'll come to that. He says this, chief purpose is this, is to increase, wherever our starting point is, wherever we've got to, is to increase our knowledge of God, knowing God, not knowing about God, knowing him by all the means that we have. This is one of them. And to be moved by that to praise and thanks. I find that unbelievably powerful, isn't it? Knowing him, knowing him better matters more than anything else. Here's the way Jesus says it. Don't take my word for it or J.R. Tolkien's. John 17, Jesus says, now this is life. In fact, it's eternal life. Doesn't get much bigger and broader and deeper than that. This is eternal life that they, you, we, may, what? Serve God, worship God, respect God, work for God, enjoy God, be called by God. Yeah, all of those, absolutely, all of them. But first, before any of those can happen, that they may know God. The only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. This is life. 
It's the chief purpose of life. If you're not yet interested or you're not sure whether there even is a God and whether he's interested in you and whether he created you and whether he's got a plan for you and whether he speaks and whether he's alive and whether we're all making this up and just it's a la-di-da to do on a Sunday night, you are so welcome. I don't say that cynically. I'm really glad that you're here. But something's brought you here. I'm going to tell you I think it's God that's brought you here. You may not believe that yet. But friend, whoever you are, you need to work out the chief purpose for your life. You need to work out whether you agree with J.R. Tolkien and whether you agree with Jesus Christ, that this is the chief purpose of your life, to know God. You really need to, to know that. And you won't find the answer on YouTube. I'm really sorry. You won't find it down in Cineworld. As happy as I am that Cineworld is open, they are not showing that film. So you're in a good place. And you know, don't leave tonight without declaring yourself to, in some way. I would encourage you. Find somebody with a, you know, with a lanyard or find somebody who looks as if they're sort of half, um, what are you, half intelligent. <laughs> Tim. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. Somebody who looks as if they've begun that journey. We've all got questions. Uh, by the way, we, we run a thing called Alpha, which is just the best place to bring questions and, and to wrestle with some of this stuff. You won't find the answers inside either. If human beings had found the answers inside, uh, well, that's where we try, isn't it? It's why the world is in such a mess most of the time, because that's where we do try to find them. I want to say three things quite quickly, because uh, that's the main point, and that's, the, that's what God wants to tell us tonight. There are just three things from the passage that get in the way, I think, and we just need to be aware of them. Let's call them watchwords. Here's the first. It's easier to serve God than it is to know God. So we love the idea of knowing God, and frankly, my favorite people in the whole world, and I really, really mean this, are the people I believe know God. They've had a lifetime, because it takes a lifetime, of getting to know God better and better, and in the end, I'm not that interested in what they've done. I just love them and I'm drawn to them. You can see it in their eyes and their spirit. There's something about them. They know God. And I want to, to, to be with them. But it's easier to serve God than to know God. This is tough, isn't it? <clears throat> verse 1, if you, I should have said keep, keep the thing open if you want it. 1 Samuel 3, verse 1, Samuel was serving, was ministering, that means serving, to the Lord in the tabernacle. He was serving faithfully. Verse 7, Samuel didn't yet know the Lord. Hello? He's serving a God he doesn't know. Now, we're not having a go at Samuel. He's eight years old, maybe. The Bible actually has a little bit of a go at Eli, because Eli's job is to mentor Samuel, and it's to help Samuel to get to know God. And he's not done a very good job of it yet. He clocks it in this passage, and good for him. But it looks as if even Eli has been a bit asleep on the job. I might be reading a bit much into the text, but he's got a couple of sons. We discover that they're messing up big time. They're doing some spectacularly dishonoring and disgraceful things, in the, even in the courts of the Lord, the, 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 the sacred area. And Eli's kind of aware of it, but he sort of pretends that he hasn't heard of it. and He doesn't do much about it. What does that tell you? It means that he's kind of going through the motions of doing his job. He's serving. He's a priest of the Lord. He's a prophet of the Lord. He's a mentor. He's calling that sort of thing. He's a professional vicar type person, and he might be serving but there's not a lot of evidence that he really knows the Lord, or if there is, he's, he's fallen off the wagon for a while. Oswald Chambers, another name you may have heard of, author, Christian author, said, the biggest enemy of intimacy with God is service for God. The biggest enemy of intimacy with God is service for God. And I am very familiar with that concept, and I suspect as a professional vicar-type person, an Eli-type person, if you like, and I suspect most of us are, actually, if we're honest, 
if you've begun a journey with God, call yourself a Christian, whatever. Because you know, you know what good Christian behavior is like, right? You know how you're supposed to be. You know about serving. You know even within the church family that there's a kind of hosting team that it's really good to join. And by the way, it's really good to join. And there's a coffee that needs serving and coffee team. And there's, there's things to do. And there's the AV team. There's camera. People are serving. And that's great. And there's other ways of serving in life groups. Or you're somebody who's uh, just wanting to go about your work really well. Or your studies. You're a student and you want to do them in a godly way. You want to serve God through your studies or through your work. And you know about all of that stuff, and we know all of that stuff is really, really good. But would you agree with me that it can almost become, at times, a kind of a front, a mask, a scream, whatever, behind which, when we ask the question, well, do you know God? Do you know the God that you're serving? How well do you know him in the way that you know that person that you know best in the world? Do you know, are you getting to know God? The answer sometimes can be, well, I'm not sure about that. I think I'll just stick to serving God, thanks, because it's easier Well, it kind of is, actually, because relationships are messy and hard, and we're not sure about them. Serving God is quite straightforward. It might be costly, but it's not difficult. You put your name down on the rotor, and you're doing the camera next week. Thank you very much. Very kind of you. (laughs) But do you know God? Are you getting to know God? It's much more important than what you do for God. It's a kind of deceptive mindset that says, well, if I just serve God, then I'll get to know God. Well... Not necessarily. I think it's part of the Western church, it's Western Enlightenment thing, to be honest. It's because we measure success by achievement. Nothing wrong with achievement, by the way, but measuring success in life by achievement is not what the Bible does. But I think that's partly why the Western church basically goes, do this, do this, do, 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 do. What's God calling me to do? So, so, you know, God, just tell me what to do, and then my life will be straightforward. And God sometimes says, no, I'm not going to tell you what to do. And certainly not until I've called you back to myself. The mantra, the song that the Western church very often sings, therefore, is do, 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 be. I think the song the Bible wants to teach us is be, 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 do, be, do, be, 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 do, be, do. It's probably in Jamie, right? You could write that one, right? It's quite catchy, your fee. Scriptures are full of it. You're a new creation. You're born again. You're a friend of God. You're a co-heir with Jesus. You're not a son or a daughter. Uh, you're a son or a daughter. You're not an orphan. It's relational language. It's the language of being with, isn't it? And I'm not suggesting that there isn't other language uh, around service. Jesus uses it too, but there's one place where he says, I no longer call you servants, but what? Friends. The language of relay. I no longer call you so. You're not primarily somebody who does something for me. You're primarily a friend with whom I enjoy company. Is that the God that you know and are getting to know? How well are we hearing this call into that before any other call to do stuff? Two, it, I'll go a bit quicker. It's easier to seek God's blessings than it is to seek God himself. To be fair, I'm not sure I can take this from the passage. I'm not going to try and shoehorn it in. But I think it's pretty clear from the rest of Samuel's story and indeed David's and some of Eli's too. I did a Google word search on the word seek. And the Bible uses the word seek loads and loads and loads. But in almost every case, the word that comes next is not his will or his way or what he's telling you to do. In almost every case, after the word seek, it goes God. Jesus, him, his face. In other words, the person of God himself. Seek him. 
seek his, very, very often seek his face. It's a beautiful impression. Seek the face of God, the face of God representing his character, his personality, who he is in relationship, rather than, first of all, his hands, which are, as it were, the, the tools of giving us things to do and setting us on our way in mission. A million verses I've got in my notes. Uh, why don't you do the same thing? But here's one. It's literally the first one, not necessarily the best one. 1 Chronicles 22. Now set your heart and your soul, in other words, all of you, to seek the Lord your God. To seek him. To enjoy him. So many. Andrew says this often. We've entered a covenant with the Lord, not a contract. So important that we get that. Because the world deals in contracts and transactions. I do this, you do that. I, I, I give my energy, I get a salary. Um, we're used to it, this transactional thing. The Bible's not full of that. The relationship with God is covenant, not contract. But we can so slip, I can so easily, so can you slip into that mindset, well, if I do this, if I just do this for God, then you know, X, Y, Z, he'll bless me some more, or this will happen, or that will happen. I read a testimony this week. <clears throat> I want to read some of it to you. It's really powerful. In fact, this lady has written a book about it, um, I've come to understand. But uh, this was from an article. And she had a lot of suffering. We're familiar with pain. This woman was familiar with pain. She'd lost a baby, um, had some miscarriages. I think there was a a bunch of other things. Really difficult, traumatic stuff. It made her re-examine what she believed, as so often happens. And she says this, I know that I was, I realized I'd unconsciously assumed that life was kind of linear. I was living as if God's blessings were dependent on my faithfulness and as if my, as if trouble was a result of my failings. So if I fulfilled my part of the relationship, God would fulfill his. But Tim Keller, she says, writes this. If, like the older brother in that story, the prodigal son, Luke 15, if you seek to control God through your obedience, then all of your morality and your good behavior and your serving for God is actually just a way to use God to make him give you what you want him to give you. Well, ouch, Right? As I search the Bible for answers, God reveals something very simple but profoundly transforming. This life is not about me. It is about him. And my supreme delight is not to rest in anything in this world. My delight is to be in God. The best gift that he can give me is not health or prosperity or happiness or or a way way of uh, serving, but more of himself. That's a blessing that can never be taken away, a blessing that grows richer with time and lasts through all eternity. This is eternal life, remember, to know him. And this blessing, she writes, this is the powerful bit, this blessing is so often found in suffering. where we want all the answers and we find that they don't come. And she goes on to say something like this. Part of that grace is not, uh, of God's grace is not always giving me everything that I ask for. So often he will offer his presence, C-E. There's a, I think there's a slide for this. He'll offer his presence when what I want are his presence, T-S. I just want the answers. I want the gifts. I want the stuff. I want the blessings. I want the way out of my problem. I want healing. I want, you know, da da da. And none of that's wrong, by the way. What good father would, or parent would deny their kids asking for those? Absolutely. But what God is always leaning into first is presence, C-E, his presence. He's offering that before offering presents. found that so powerful. I'd love to read more of it, but I don't have time. So even for those of us who say, uh, I've surrendered my life to Jesus Christ and, and my life revolves around him, I'm going to say, where is your prayer life? 
what dominates your prayer life? Because if I'm really honest, there are many seasons in my life where effectively what I'm praying is, God, help me. God, sort me out. God, show me this. God, do me that. I, I, God, give me a, you know, what I need. Well, what's that? what kind of relationship is that? I'm not saying those are wrong prayers, by the way. But if that's predominantly what it is, then what am I after? I'm after his presence, T.S. I'm after what he can give me. I'm after his blessings more than I'm after the blessing of knowing him. In fact, I think it was, I was standing here last week, wasn't I, and, and had that little image of the sun and the, and the earth and a bunch of people who had to sort of realize, even though it didn't feel like their reality, that instead of the sun revolving around the earth, it's the other way around. We would love for the world to revolve around us, and we can live that way very easily. It's all about my needs, my desires, my wants. Even my relationship with God is essentially about my wants because I'm trying to manipulate him into doing my thing by being kind or patient or generous or giving money or whatever. We can slip into that, can't we? Or am I talking nonsense? I think we can. Actually, the earth revolves around the sun. Whether you like it or not, he's the center of everything, and my life revolves around him. And it, it, it would do us well to agree with that. It would do us well to fall in line with that because that's how he set things up and he knows best. And he's calling us to this loving relationship. I love that Jamie picked those songs. We've we've sung it, haven't we, tonight? We've made those declarations. Sometimes we don't concentrate, I know, on the words that we're singing and I kind of get that. But we've said that. Lord, I want you. All I want is you. We didn't say, so in implication, it's not, I'm not, not after your gifts tonight. But we need to keep going there. So that's the priority. It's easier, third, it's easier to listen to other voices than to God's. It's easier to listen to other voices than to God's. So three easiers. And I won't dwell on this one. But let me do a little quiz with you, a little one of those little things. You're driving a bus, and there's 10 passengers on it. Pay attention, one of those little mathematical things. And you drive west for five miles, and four passengers get off. Okay? Then you drive east for two miles, and another two passengers get off, but one gets on with me. Then you drive north for five miles and three more passengers get off. Okay? How old is the bus driver? You're cheating because you were here this morning. <laughs> but, but put your hands up if you've got the answer. Put your hands up if you've got the answer. Interesting. Look around. Small number. Mostly, mostly those who are here this morning. <laughs> the, the clue is in the first word. Who's the bus driver? You, how old's the bus driver? You're, you're however you... But it's interesting, isn't it? What we, what we listen to, what do, what do we hear? I, I, I profoundly believe that there's never been a generation in the history of the world that has been bombarded with more information and more voices than we are through every conceivable device and, and channel, far more than we can actually, we're actually designed to cope with. We're not, designed, we're not created to cope with all this amount of information. But all that does is to multiply the number of voices that we can listen to. And frankly, therefore, it's much easier to listen to a whole bunch of other voices than it is to God's, because we can't even see him. So, of course, it's easier to flick onto BBC Sport. I know I keep saying that. It's probably because I'm talking to myself. And one or two others in the room, I notice. Um, or whatever your other voice is, the news or you know, YouTube or whatever, Facebook. Farm reason, none of those things are bad, obviously. But, friends... Father God is calling us to the with God life, with him. You can't do relationship without listening. We're quite keen on talking, listening maybe a little bit less so. That a, a relationship simply cannot exist without listening. And I would say listening well. 
not just hearing words, but listening, to give somebody the gift of listening, would you not agree, is one of the most precious things that we can do for each other. When you feel really listened to, you feel valued, you feel treasured, you feel honored, you feel heard, you feel known. What are we talking about tonight? Being known and knowing God. So do you not think that listening plays a really significant part in that? And the passage in 1 Samuel 3 is all about listening, isn't it? It's all about this young boy who didn't know that God was speaking to him and he needed some help in recognizing that voice. And at least Eli gets that bit right. He, helped, he acts as the mentor in that moment. And by the way, if you're a mentor here, spiritual parent, I think your number one task, there may be some others, but the number one task of a Christian mentor is to help somebody else hear the voice of God. If you do lots of other things and not that, you've failed. Sorry to say it loudly. We learned. Samuel learned. It was then a whole lifetime. It goes on to say a bit later, he, 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 uh, he, the Lord revealed himself through his word. Of course it's progressive. Of course it is. Let's not chime in with the, the, the cultural narrative that goes, I can click a few buttons and get it. We're talking about a relationship here, not something that we just pray, God, 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 dunk, suddenly I hear God. I think more of us can hear God than we think we can. But it's a lifetime's journey of getting familiar with that voice. we just come back from France. Very, very grateful to go to France. I used to teach French. I can speak French. It's familiar. I used to live there. And you, I was immersed in that culture, so I basically fluent in French. I haven't been for a long time. I haven't taught French for a long time. And so I noticed that in the cafes, I was trying to listen to the argument that the man and his wife were having over here, but I couldn't, I couldn't, quite, mm, couldn't quite get it. Because I was unfamiliar, I've become unf less familiar with the, with, the, with the environment of French. It's the same in hearing God. We need to spend time in that environment. And the more that we spend time in the environment, it takes time, by the way. <laughs> There's a cost to this. The more we become familiar with that environment, the more we learn to recognize that voice. And we do understand that it's God. And we need help with that. We need Eli's in our life. We need other things. We need to grab a hold of the resources that are available to help us to learn to recognize the voice of God. But can you... Seriously tell me that there's, a, there's a, a more important voice that we need to get to hear? You really can't, even if you don't want to. That's a different thing. And it takes time, and we don't love cost. It does take some time. Primarily, we hear God through the Scriptures. Please, God, let there be a, a renewal of passion for the Scriptures in, in this church. Where, where to open our Bibles brings an expectation that we're going to hear the voice of God. And if we don't quite yet, well, we're going to work at that rather than keep our Bibles closed and hope that somebody just gives us a word or the vicar gives a good talk and we can say God spoke to us. I'm not, I'm not dissing that. Enough <clears throat> from me for, for now. It's a journey to go on. It's opposed, by the way. Of course it is. The devil's got an interest in us not hearing the voice of God and our flesh has got an interest in preferring you know, easier voices. But the logic is unshakable, isn't it? We want to live the with God life. It's what we've been created for. It's what we've been called to before we're called to anything else. It's kind of the question at the end, did, did you live with me? Jesus says it really starkly at one point. He says to a bunch of people who did a whole bunch of interesting things, including miracles, and he says, sorry, never knew you. Never knew you. You did things. You achieved some stuff, but you didn't know me. We didn't get to know each other. It's easier to serve God than to know God. It's easier to seek God's blessings than it is to seek him, him himself. It's easier to listen to other voices than the voice of, of Jesus. 
But I end with a family mantra. This is not in the Bible, but it's in the Gru household, uh, where we say, it's, uh, don't do the easy thing, do the right thing. Don't do these, don't always fall for the easy thing, the convenient thing. There's cost involved in this, of course there is, but, but, but pleasure too and reward. Uh, do the wise thing, the wise thing that leads to life, not the easy thing that leads to death. God is calling you to himself. Let's stand. Have a stretch. Make sure you can't see your notifications. Well, the, the what next is up to us, isn't it? God's been speaking. I'm confident of that. So, as ever, time to allow him to underline what he, he, he's been saying time to respond to what he's been saying if you're unfamiliar with us we, we end untidily but we think it's incredibly important not just to rush out and go I've done church and now let's have a coffee and connect with friends no absolutely not connect with God first there's time for friends later might help to close eyes that keeps some distractions out Why don't you have a little conversation with the Lord before I lead us a bit more? starting like this and it, it may just be me but Father I, I want to say that I, I'm almost intimidated by how radical this is but fundamentally massively reassured too because you're king and you're, you're father and you're a good father and you're in charge and that covenant that you call us to is a very unequal one where you do most of the work and ours to respond like sheep to a shepherd and but I'm recognizing the weight of this, Lord. I'm recognizing the, the priority of the call to yourself being simply bigger and more important than anything that any human being can do on, on the planet in our lifetime. And so, Lord, we want to feel the magnitude of that, but in a sense, the lightness of it too. So I'm praying, Holy Spirit, that, that that would be what you'd be doing. I pray you'd give, a, give us a fresh vision for what it is to be called to the with God life. Holy Spirit, would you give us all a fresh vision, inspire us again what it is to, to, do, to do the with God life. Would you shock us with the horror of the without God life?
Father, would you take hold of our desires? We thank you for them. We thank you that you've made us as people with desires and wants and yearnings and longings. And God, I'm asking that you would put your holy fuel and fire underneath those desires. Would you purify them, deepen them, strengthen them, turn them into a passion for you, a refined passion for you, that with every fiber of our being, we'd want to give our yes to this. With every fiber of our being, we'd want to go, I'm all in to respond to this call to to know you, to draw nearer to you, to, to, to lean in to the chest of Jesus. I'm thinking the Apostle John, he leant in, the beloved, he leant in and put his head even on the chest of Jesus where he could hear Jesus' heartbeat. There's such delight in that place. The Lord's been speaking to me personally about that this week. I'm, I'm living with the, the concept, I pray it for you, that you'd lean into the chest of Jesus. And Lord, we're saying thank you for welcoming us there. Thank you for inviting us there with all that we are, with all that we're carrying, with all our questions, with all our pain, with all our suffering, with all our doubts, with all our cynicism. Thank you, thank you, thank you that you welcome us there. Hold us there, embrace us there before you even begin to say do this or that. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Give him your thanks. Thanks.